This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elisha said, and Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. You ever read this passage and wonder, why did the names have to be so similar? Why did it have to go from Elijah to Elisha? Let's pray. Father, just thanks so much again for uh, just the chance to be here and worship this morning. Help us as we encounter your word uh, to hear your voice and to hear, uh, to feel your spirit's movement uh, in our hearts and in our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I have to tell you, I used to have uh, an app on my phone uh, and I was pretty obsessed with this app for probably about six months before I deleted it. It was one of those uh, check-in apps. I don't know if you have one of these on your phone, but it was, a, it was a check-in app where you would go to certain places and you would check in with your phone. Uh, some of you are laughing that know me well because you know how obsessed I was with this. And if you check in with uh, this app more than anyone else, then you can become the mayor of that place. And I was really proud of becoming mayor at all these uh, different pl- uh, places that I went to. 
But it also had this feature to it where you could uh, score points for all these new and exotic places that you went to each week. And at the end of the week, you would tally all these points along with your friends and you could win the week if you went to the most different and exotic places throughout the week. And for whatever reason, I could never win a week. The best I could ever get uh, was third place. So finally, at the end of the day, I just erased the app and gave up. Because at the end, I'm just a, a normal kind of mundane person who does a lot of mundane things and not a lot of exciting things. And I think that's in some ways what social media can sometimes do or, or have an effect on us. It can sometimes glorify the exotic and really downplay the mundane. I don't know how many selfies I see of people when they're doing their laundry or, or cutting their lawn. We just don't do those sorts of things. But let's face it, most of us lead lives that are very ordinary and are very uh, mundane. We are creatures of routine. If I asked you to sit and think about your drive here, you probably couldn't even think about it because it was so much of part of your routine. And we often function in that world, in the mundane. And I think there are sometimes two dangers to that. One is the, is the great danger in feeling like that's not okay. And that somehow we have to fill our lives with all sorts of adventures and experiences. And, and we feel there's a sort of keeping up with the Joneses to this, where we see all these other exciting things that other people do, so we have to keep up with them. But I think there's another or equal danger in the mundane. And that is when we can become lost in the everyday, we can become lost in the routine and lulled into thinking that the everyday and the routine are all there really is to life. And that is why sometimes the miraculous needs to intrude on our everyday. And when it does, we are reminded that there is more to this life than the things that we can see and touch and easily categorize. There's a reality that is beyond our perception. And when those things intrude, our imaginations get sparked and we start to dream about things and things that are possible that we never dreamed about before. Well, this story uh, that we just read from 2 Kings is one of those stories. It's a, it's a story about a miraculous in, uh, intrusion into the everyday. And it, I think it really offers us three pictures as we think about it. It offers us a picture of the character and nature of God. It offers us a picture of the nature of death. And finally, it offers us a picture of the ongoing mission that we are called to. But the first picture we see really is a picture of the character and nature of God. If you've ever read uh, these two books in the Old Testament, uh, the books of First King and Second Kings, you'll know that they talk about uh, the prophetic work of these two prophets, the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha. But what it often also does is it gives us a history. It gives us a succession of kings all throughout Israel's history and how it talks about how they often had a difficult relationship with these prophets, these on and off again relationships. And if you read it, it kind of reads like a, a theological history about how a relationship with God affects a, a certain people group or a certain nation. 
And if you get to the end of 1 Kings, you'll see that it's all about a, a military history of this battle and that battle. It talks about the defeat of the Syrian armies who had gathered together to defeat the nation of Israel. It talks about Ahab, the king's death, and the rise of Ahaziah, his son, who was just as wicked as his father was. It talks about the the rise of Jehoshaphat as the king of Judah. And as you open 2 Kings, the, the kind of details persist. They continue. It talks about another transition of kingship where Ahaziah dies and And then Jehoram rises to become the king of Israel. And then in the middle of all these mundane kind of details, all these historical details about the rise and fall of kings and this military victory and that military defeat, in the middle of all these details, we get a very vivid and powerful picture of the character of God. The passage tells us that Elijah and Elisha had gathered on the banks of the Jordan River and, and how there were, there were 50 other prophets who had gathered around the banks of this river as well. And when they're doing this, the miraculous intrudes on the mundane. It says this in verse 11, as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. Just imagine the prophets are looking at the sky in this story and they see chariots of horses in the sky, horses of fire and chariots of fire. And what it is, is in that moment, it is a grand display of the absolute strength and might of God. You see, chariots were considered to be a symbol of incredible military strength. And now they are seeing this symbol associated with the might and power of God who is in heaven. And when they see it, they are instantly reminded that God is far superior to the might of any human military that has ever existed, that he is far more powerful than any human king that has ever sat on any throne. The intrusion of the miraculous reminded those there that day that God was all-powerful and he was superior. Nothing was outside of his control, nothing was outside of his ability, nothing is outside of his power. Now, I don't have to tell you that right now it is election season, and this one feels more like a doozy than all the other ones that I can at least remember. Uh, I don't know whether you're looking forward to the first presidential debate tomorrow, but it sure has the makings of being a train wreck. It's one of those car accidents that you see on the beltway that you kind of have to watch and you just can't look away from. And that's exactly what we might feel like tomorrow night. Uh, But I don't know about you, uh, but there are times in election seasons where I think, man, if this candidate gets elected, that's it. The straw has broken the camel's back and it's time to find another country to move to or to live in as if the other countries don't have problems in and of themselves. But what I do take comfort from is this, that whether our candidate wins or loses, or whether we just simply dislike all the candidates, we need to be reminded that none of this catches God by surprise. 
No human power is bigger than God at the end of the day. Even if someone we hate with every ounce of our being becomes the head of our country, the top office in our country, it doesn't change the fact that God is still Lord of all things. In fact, Proverbs reminds us that it says that the, the, the very heart of the king or the president in our, in our country, the very heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he raises up kings and he brings them down at his will. You see, this miraculous intrusion was a reminder that God ultimately is in charge. But it's also a reminder that he is superior, not just to all the worldly leaders and the military battles, but he is also superior to all the gods of the foreign nations. You see, the book of First and Second Kings talks consistently about God's people and their temptation to worship the gods of all the nations that were around them. These gods were exemplified in nature. The, the god of Baal was considered to be the god of the storm. And they had gods of hills and gods of mountains and gods of rivers and valleys, all of which they worshipped. And all of these false gods were considered to be a, a source of, of life and vitality for the people. But in the end of the day, those gods were never real. They promised much, but they never, ever delivered. And what this passage reminds us is that God is the one who is enthroned. He is supreme, not just over kings, but over all the false gods that people have the temptation to give themselves to. He is the great warrior who is also the only and ultimate source of life. You see, this awesome demonstration of God's power reminded the people that he was the ultimate source of life, that he was above nature, that he was superior to all man-made gods. It is a picture of the character, the power, and the superiority of God. I think sometimes uh, in Christian circles, we can often uh, get lost in uh, the intimacy that we have in our relationship with God. And that's not a bad thing. It's good to always reflect on how intimate and personal our God is. But what we can't forget is the other side of that, in that he is also a God of awesome power and of transcendence. You see, we can celebrate how, how deeply he cares for us and how intimately he even knows the number of hairs on our head. But he also, at the very same time, is the one who created the heavens and the earth by simply speaking them into existence. You see, we can't forget his might and his power and his superiority as well. See, friends, sometimes in the middle of the mundane, in the routine and nature of life, we can sometimes forget all of these things. We believe that this one problem relationship in our life can never or will never change. We'll never be able to please that boss or please that client or that professor that we can't seem to, to get a good grade with. We, we, our work or our school situation seems to be so bad that it, it's impossible that it'll ever be changed. Or maybe we wrestle with some sort of health situation that we feel like will just never improve. 
And we sometimes accept that nothing is bigger than that difficult person, that difficult situation, or that relationship challenge. And that is why we need this story. We need to be reminded that the miraculous often intrudes on the mundane and remember that God can do anything, that he is superior and powerful. So we see that powerfully in this passage, but we also see other things. We see, secondly, a picture of the nature of death. You see, this passage marks the the end of Elijah the prophet's life on this earth. We've all heard the saying that, uh, that nothing is more certain in life than death and, in, and taxes, right? Well, things are certainly different for Elijah. I don't know if he ever had to pay taxes, but he certainly faced death in a very different way than you and I do. Many people believe that, that Elijah, they picture Elijah riding off in this great chariot up into the heavens, but the text actually doesn't say that. It doesn't say that, that the chariots carried him. It says that, that he was caught up in a whirlwind and taken up into heaven. Now, needless to say, this is a pretty unique way to go, even in the scriptures, uh, it looks backward to a passage uh, in Genesis, Genesis 5.20, where it talks about another man named Enoch, and it says that uh, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And I don't know what that looks like or what that means, but it says that in Genesis chapter 5. It also looks forward to, to Jesus and his ascension into heaven after the resurrection. But But beyond these few examples, even in the scriptures, the end of Elijah's earthly life was pretty unique. In fact, it was so unique that most people, when they look at it, don't even call it death. They use a different word. They say, instead of a death, Elijah was translated. He was translated from one reality, the earthly reality, to another reality, and that is the heavenly one. Now maybe, just maybe, that is a better way for all of us to think about this idea of death. To think of it simply as a translation to a different reality or to a different existence. That it is the end of one existence, but it is a birth into something that is new and different. And the scriptures tell us if we are in Christ Jesus, then it is a birth or a translation into something that is far better than we can even imagine. This week, uh, I had the privilege of uh, just walking up the street and and leading a a Bible study for a bunch of high school boys and faculty and staff members uh, over at the Gilman School. Uh, If you don't know about the Gilman School, it's a very uh, good, prestigious uh, uh, private boys school that's just up the street from here. And uh, uh, we gathered together with about 30 or 40 uh, young men and some teachers and some faculty member, and we looked at John chapter 2. We looked at uh, when Jesus turned uh, the, the water into the wine at the wedding feast in Canaan. And we talked about how it was such a symbol of, of the fact that, that Jesus came to bring joy and celebration and abundance. It was a great discussion. 
But at the very end, as I was leaving, uh, one of the staff members, a maintenance man who was on staff there, uh, came up to me and he said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure, let's, let's talk. And he said, I just want to thank you for, for what you shared uh, with us this morning. And, and it really meant something to me personally. He said, I came into our study today feeling really sad. I was feeling really sad and really depressed about my life and that's because I found out just a few days ago uh, that one of my best friends had passed away. He said, but as I sat and thought about this miracle that Jesus performed, I was filled with, with a, a different sense. I was film, uh, filled with a, a sense of happiness and joy for my friend because I realized that he was now a part of the celebration. That he was a part of a different and better celebration that was full of joy and abundance and satisfaction. And when I thought of that, it just filled me with all sorts of happiness. You see, friends, death is a reality of life. But if you are in Christ Jesus, it is simply a translation to something that is better than our minds can even grasp. It's much harder for those of us who are left behind than it is for those of us who get to move on and join in the great wedding feast, the great celebration in a different reality. So this passage gives us a picture of the character of God, a picture of the nature of death, but finally it gives us a picture of the ongoing mission that we are all called to. One of my favorite passages is when Jesus is, is ascended into heaven and, and the scripture writers define it as, as Jesus ascending into heaven and all his disciples had gathered around him. And you just imagine them all staring up into the sky as they see Jesus disappearing amongst the clouds. And then the passage says all of a sudden an angel shows up in their midst and says to the, the, those that are gathered around there, well, what are you doing here? Why are you still here? You've been given a mission. Now get going. Move into the mission that you've been given by God. You see, after uh, Elijah ascended into heaven, it was caught up into this whirlwind, the passage tells us that Elisha picked up his cloak and carried on his mission. The passage tells us at the beginning that, that Elijah used that cloak to part the waters of the Jordan River. And anybody reading that would be reminded of thousands of years before that when Moses stood before the Red Sea and parted the Red Sea and provided salvation for God's people. And then, of course, after the narrative, after Elijah had been sent back up into the heavens, the passage tells us Elisha took that cloak and he parted the Jordan River himself, just like his predecessor had done before him. See, this passage looks back to Moses, but it also looks forward to another one who would come on mission himself. This one wouldn't part the sea he would be one who would walk on it. He wouldn't divide the waters. He was one who would calm the storm. And his mission would eventually lead him to his own death. It meant for him, Jesus Christ, that the chariots and horses and fires of God's wrath would not be there for his salvation, but they would be there to consume him because he would sacrifice himself to make a way of eternal life 
for you and for me. It was our sin that ultimately led him to that cross and it was his sacrifice that brought us the gift of eternal life. But friends, his sacrifice wasn't simply just for us and for our personal salvation. It wasn't just so that we can receive all the blessings and benefits of the kingdom. It certainly is all that, more than we can even ask or imagine. But it isn't just for us. Because God calls us that, and he tells us that until we experience the fullness of that, of that salvation, when we are translated into heaven, until that moment, we are given a mission that is beyond just simply our own personal salvation. You see, Moses' mission was to be the voice of God to the Israelite nation. Elijah and Elisha were given that same mission thousands of years later. And you and I are given the very same mission. To be the voice of the true and living God in a world that desperately needs to hear that voice. We are called to to help others to see that God is superior to all the things that we claim to be powerful in this world. We are called to help others see that other sources of life never deliver. We are called to help others come to terms with the reality of death, but also to help them to see death differently. Ultimately, we are called to help others see their great need for Jesus and ultimately to begin to celebrate here on earth what will ultimately be the greatest celebration ever. Let's pray.